Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for lovely worship today. We continue our Matthean messages, so turn to Matthew chapter 13. We'll look at verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. This is my word was our offertory. God's main business in history is his word. God's main business in history is his word. He said, let there be light. It was a spoken word, and it was. Or his written word in the Torah, the, the law, the, the word of God. Or the proclamation of the prophet, thus saith the Lord God Almighty through Isaiah or Jeremiah. Or ultimately in John chapter 1, the word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is the living word of God. Yes, it's a defensible statement that the main thing God does is his word. Once it is spoken, Scripture tells us, it always accomplishes what God intends. It's what makes Scripture so unlike any other book and so important because Matthew is the Word of God. And today in a parable, a sower goes to sow and he's sowing the Word of the kingdom. People respond to the story about Jesus, the Word, about the living Word, with varying degrees of receptiveness. Oh, to some it seemed like an awfully silly story. I could see how it would. A dead man coming back to life, walking on water, turning water into wine. How can such a silly story still carry so much import in a scientific age an age in which we feel as if we cannot replicate it in the laboratory, then it could not have happened, and it must surely then, must not be true. Today, Jesus tells a story, a parable, about a sower, seed, and soul. And in this story about the sower, the seed, and the soul, we see different responses to the word to the story of Jesus. Now, the parable is not so much about the sower, though clearly the sower is Jesus bringing the gospel. The parable is not so much about the seed, but we do know the seed is the word about the kingdom, that it has arrived in Jesus. The sower and the seed is the same. What changes in this story, not sower or seed, but souls. The parable is really about various souls' receptivity to the word. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by 
the sea. The house was probably in Capernaum where Jesus had set up the headquarters for his ministry. Jesus is sitting by the sea teaching. In antiquity, the position of authority was to sit down. Even today, Catholics will speak of the Pope speaking ex cathedra from the throne, from the chair, seated. seated. Or we might have a university say they have an endowed chair. You see, it's teaching from a position of authority. We have traces of that idea in our culture today, but teachers of antiquity would be seated, the position of authority. So Jesus is seated. But I want you to notice that Jesus goes out from the house. We do need to hear that neither Jesus nor his church are housebound. We must get out to sow the seed. Doesn't need to happen here so much as it needs to happen out there. And so many people came to hear Jesus, this teacher of the authority, seated by the sea. They began to press closer and closer and closer till he had to get into a boat and push out so he'd have room to be heard and to be seen. Probably a boat owned by one of his fishermen followers. Perhaps it was Peter's boat that he got into. And Jesus taught them in parables this day saying. Now a parable is a story drawn from images of everyday life, like a farmer or a father with two sons, or a pearl, a treasure hidden in a field. A story drawn from everyday life that yet arrests the hearer with its vividness and yet its strangeness and is cloudy enough to tease the thought of the hearer. And so one listens and one ponders, now exactly what does that mean? Well, Jesus taught in parables, saying, Once upon a time, a farmer went out to sow seeds. Some of the seeds fell on the roadside. That area had been packed down by the trotting of many feet, and the seeds sitting on top of the beaten path were easily seen by the birds, and they were quickly devoured. I want you to notice how this story opens and closes. Look at verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Look! The sower went out to sow. The beginning of the story is a call to look. Look here. Listen. Look here. Notice how it ends in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. So the parable begins with the admonition, look. And it ends with the admonition, listen. Look. A man went out to sow. Now, he who has ears, let him hear. I call it the look, listen, bookends of the parable. Look, listen. In our previous home, only six inches it ran beside the concrete. It was packed down. I'm not sure why, but there were teenage girl drivers who missed the driveway by about six inches, and so 
we might as well have poured concrete there because that tire was just right there running right beside that concrete and you know, I would try to sow some seed, go and get one of those little package, mending packages, and I would sow the seed, and the sprinkler system would water, and it didn't matter. Here comes another tire. You know, it, it, it's never really, it's packed down. It's the road, not to mention the monthly sprinkler heads that are located there that got to be replaced because they just couldn't get it. That's not the concrete. That's the grass. You see, when the path is trodden and packed down, when it's like a roadway, you can sow the seed, but it will not grow. It is not good soil to receive the seed. It's packed. And the birds see the seed and they come and they snatch it. The word here is snatch it away. Or in verse 5 and 6, he gives us another kind of soul. And others fell upon the rocky places. I want you to notice the knots and the nose. And the others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soul. And immediately they sprang up because they had no, no depth of soul. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Not, no, no, Jesus says. It falls upon the rocky places in Palestine. Here, large areas of a field could be little more than just a little bit of topsoil on a limestone bedrock, and it looked like good farming land. But when one began to farm, they realized that underneath that thin layer of soil is nothing but limestone. And, of course, the seed receiving the, the water and the sun, it springs up. And while the sun comes out, and because there's no depth of soil, there are no no roots underneath the plant, the sun, the scorching rays, the tender seedlings wither away. Or in verse 7, there's a third kind of soul. Another fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked them out. Have you ever noticed how vigorous? Weeds are, thorns are, nettles, the things you don't want in your garden. How, well, you can't get the good stuff to grow, but the bad stuff, you cannot stop it. Have you ever noticed that? In Waco, Texas, there was a deacon at Meadowbrook by the name of David. And David built his family one of those above-ground swimming pools, and I, it was a nice one. He built a, a nice custom deck around it, and they enjoyed it one season. And the next season, he uncovered his above-ground swimming pool, ready for the sun, the fun, the family. And he noticed, oh my goodness, that something called nutgrass. I don't know if it grows in Amarillo, but it does grow in Waco. Nutgrass had come through the quarter-inch liner of the above-ground swimming pool and was three feet tall in the water that had been covered. And so he looked in his pool, and it was nothing but a nutgrass seaweed, you might say. And he was so upset, but he began to think to himself, it's not the end of the world. You're supposed to get 10 years out of these liners. He got one 
But he thought, I still have my deck, I still have my shell, I still have my pump and all filter, and so I'll just get a new liner. It'll be a, a couple of days' work. I'll put in the new liner. And so, well, he bought a new liner, and he sprayed with the most potent poison he could find. I don't mean Roundup, I mean the scorched earth kind. He sprayed it there, and surely that would get the nut grass. He put in the brand new liner. They had fun for a couple of weeks, and no one swam during the week one week. And he went out to clean his pool and nut grass. And he come through the second quarter-inch vinyl liner. How does it even know there's water on the other side? It's not, not leaking. I can't figure it out. But somehow the nut grass knew if it penetrated the vinyl then there would be water there. And so there again, nut grass. So he went to see an agricultural expert and said, I, 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 this is two liners. These are not cheap. I, I've got 20 years of liners now in one year. What do I do? And the guy said, the only thing you can do is to pour a slab of concrete and then rebuild your pool on top of the slab of concrete, and you won't have any nut grass. So he had to take the deck off, take the pool down, poured a five-inch slab of concrete, and rebuilt the pool, bought yet a third liner, and enjoyed the pool until one day he went out. Nut grass. It went through the soil, through the poison, through five inches of concrete, and through a third Liner, nutgrass. Those things that you don't want to grow seem to grow and to, ch to choke out and cause it to perish. Well, that's the third kind of soil. It has the thorns in it. Weeds in the seeds, you might say. Well, there's a, a fourth kind of soil in verse 8 and 9. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This soil was not downtrodden. It was not thin with the limestone beneath. And there was no thorns or nettles. It produced fruit for the kingdom. Listen up, Jesus said after he told that story. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now in verse 10, the disciples ask a question. Jesus, why don't you just say what you mean and mean what you say? Why are you telling us these stories? Why are you speaking in parables? Look at verse 11. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Don't want you to notice kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall be more given. And he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing they do not see. And while hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And in their case, a prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and, their ear, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, 
because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I truly say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, the parables were not told to be brain teasers. It wasn't a trick from Jesus to try to stump the crowd. That's not his intention at all. There's nothing really hard to understand about the parables unless your mind is already hardened to the truth. You see, the parable separates those who hear and understand from those who do not understand. For they, Jesus says, they have chosen to close their eyes, to shut their ears. They refuse to repent of their sins, and as a consequence, they only get parables which simply serve to reinforce their blindness and their lack of understanding. You see what the seed is? It is the word of the kingdom. Verse 11, to you has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The sower is sowing the seed, and that which he sows is the proclamation, repent for the kingdom of God is here. In the person of Jesus, the long-awaited kingdom of God has actually arrived. He's sowing the seed. This is the announcement that you need to turn from your wicked ways, from your sin, and you need to accept in repentance the arrival of the Messiah. It's the kingdom of God. It won't be grasped by everyone. It is only those who have open ears and open eyes and open hearts that can further understand the Father's kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, because some have hardened their hearts, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Those who understand something about the kingdom will understand all the more, and those who have turned their back to it will walk in complete blindness. You see, it's awfully arrogant for men then and men now to say, God, if you'll set forth your plan, every detail for my discipleship, then I'll decide if I will follow you. And Jesus says, doesn't work that way. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not for the curious, it's for the committed. You must commit yourself to the truth that you know, and then God gives you more truth. Therefore, the rich get richer if they walk upon, upon the truth that they have. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven because he doesn't want to use the word God. The other gospel writers would call it the kingdom of God, is to the committed and not to the curious. And then he quotes that passage in verses 14 and 15 that come from the prophet Isaiah. From, it comes from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is told something like this. Isaiah, I want you to go and warn the people. 
I want you to proclaim my word. I want you to speak prophetically. I want your words to be my words, Isaiah. Now get ready. You're going to preach for 40 years, and they will not repent. You're going to proclaim, thus saith the word of God, for four decades. But they will not see because their eyes are shut. They will not hear because they have closed their ears. Isaiah, I've called you to preach for four decades, and they will not convert to my word. It does come to great relief to preachers when we realize it is never my job to respond to the gospel. It is only my job to preach the gospel as Isaiah did, put no response for four decades. There are those, however, who have open eyes and open ears, and they perceive and they understand. And others, when you preach the gospel, they're something like Christopher Columbus when it comes to understanding. Think about him. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was when he got there. And he didn't know where he'd been when he returned. Some people are like that when it comes to hearing the gospel. Do you notice what Jesus said? You are in a privileged position. There are prophets who long to hear the word that you hear. There are righteous men who long for this day, the day of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, and it did not come. You are in a privileged position, Jesus says, for the prophets and the righteous have longed for this day, and the day is unfolding in your midst. The long-awaited Messiah is here. The kingdom has come. And then rarity of all rarities. In verses 18 through 23, Jesus interprets his parable. That doesn't happen much in Scripture. Usually you don't get the cliff note version after he's told the story. You're left on your own. But we're given that here. Jesus tells us, Look at verse 19. The seed that was cast on the trodden path, the seed that was easily eaten by the birds, represents those who are not spiritually perceptive enough to understand the kingdom of God. And the evil one, Satan, comes and snatches away. The gospel seed, the word is spoken, but is snatched away. Sometime look at chapter 11, verse 12. Satan snatches away. That's an image in Matthew. Satan snatches away. There are all these souls, but only one understands. And the shallow soul, verses 20 and 21, that overlays a bedrock of limestone, here the seed quickly sprouts. Yet because of the hot rays of the sun beaming down, the seed quickly withers away. So it is with those who receive the good news, the gospel with all sorts of enthusiasm and excitement. <clears throat> excited about Christ, excited about the church. But when troubles, when the sun beats down, when hardships or persecution come their way, they wither. There's an old English proverb 
Not all who go to church say their prayers. You get it. Not all who spring up for Jesus, who enter the baptismal waters, who sign up to be part of the people of God. They don't have any staying power. You see, when difficulties come their way, they simply disappear. The church should never be seduced by the temptation of success. We're not called here to be successful. We're called here to be faithful. There's a difference. Verse 22. Not only did seeds fall on the trodden soil, the rocky soil, but then there's the thorns that come and choke. And here it is the worries of this world and it is prosperity. As much as persecution, the bedrock, the thin soul, causes folks to wither away, in an almost more dangerous, quiet way, the concerns of this world, the buying and the selling here, prosperity can certainly choke out the gospel. It says in verse 22, they are Worried for the things of the world, the deceitfulness, the riches choke the word. The thorns are riches because it is unfruitful. On August 11, 1978, Double Eagle II, a, a large helium balloon, it went up into the sky above the potato fields in Maine. The final destination was Paris, France. The aerodynamics of ballooning are somewhat complex, but one thing is certain. In order for a balloon to stay aloft over an extended period of time, as the journey progresses, ballast, that which is used to weigh down the balloon, must be expelled in order to, to continue to cause the lift necessary to carry the decreasing weight. Of the three passengers on the Big balloon, one of them wrote, we have been expelling ballast wisely as we have neared land, but not cheaply. We've had to throw gear overboard and records and radio and film and magazines and sleeping bags and lawn chairs and most of our food and our water and the cooler it was in. As we're getting close to land, we had to get rid of our food and our chairs and everything that was causing us to, to land too early so the lighter balloon would live. Following Christ is that way. The closer we become to Him, the more ballast, the more weight of this world we cast off so that we, the believer, can land in the right place. And then finally and last in verse 23, there's not much about the good soul. You know why? Because it's really simple. The soul that bears through fruit, the, the good soul, those who both hear the gospel and they have depth. And when persecution comes and hardships, when God doesn't answer their prayers every time at the moment they want and the way that they want, they persevere in the faith and they throw off the ballast of this world, the riches and the concerns and worries of this world, and they receive the gospel and they bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. You see, 
Look, listen, and do is all it takes to produce fruit. He's already told us that earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. John Stuart Mill said, one person with real belief is better than 99 who are simply curious. One person with sincere belief is more powerful, says John Stuart Mill, than 99 who only have an interest. All the souls receive the seed, they hear the word of the gospel. But only one responds. I am certain that the seed exists. I am certain that the sower will sow the seed in your life. In fact, he's done so in the last 20 minutes. The only question that remains is, what kind of soul are you? Let us pray. Oh God, may we be the look, listen, and do disciple. And may we realize this morning that indeed we stand in a privileged position For with the arrival of the Holy One of Israel, that Bethlehem baby, we see what the prophets only longed to see, and we hear what righteous men could only long to hear. Oh God, I pray this morning if there's someone who needs to come and say, Jesus is Lord, Lord of my life. I repent and receive the kingdom that today would be his day or her day. Maybe there are others who are called to be a part of this church family that will preach the word of God, the ancient word, faithful and true for all humanity for all ends. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.